The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OASS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction, the Next Step. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jerry Gretzinger, your host of Addiction, the Next Step. You know, uh, if you've listened to some of our previous episodes, we've been doing a lot of talking about uh, Oasis as an organization and state agency, who we are, what we do, the services we provide. Today, we're changing things up a little bit. We are going to talk about the life of a person who tangentially received, benefited from those services that we support statewide. And that person is Mike Baglioni. He's a New York Police Department officer, and he is sharing his story. He has been sharing his story publicly of of his, his experience with a very close family member who experienced substance use disorder after a motorcycle accident. And Michael, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Jerry. Hey, you know, so I want to start, uh, we kind of did a, a quick introduction to who you are, but let me have you do that. Tell us, who's Mike Baglioni? Where, where are you from? What do you do? I'm from the Hudson Valley. When I was around 20 years old, I moved to Brooklyn. And since then, I've been uh, employed by the New York City Police Department for the last 16 and a half years. All right. So 16 and a half years with the PD. Yeah. That's, that's great. We all appreciate you doing. And I know uh, we have you here today um, to talk about a situation within your family with loved ones. But let, let me first ask you, as as a police officer, you know, the, the this podcast is about addiction, services, supports, what we can do to help people uh, who are looking for services and supports. In your line of work, I have to imagine there are occasions where you do encounter people who are maybe an active overdose or, or otherwise affected by substances. You know, what, before your own experience with this, what was it like in you know, in a, in, in a uniform responding to that sort of need. So, you know, obviously I'm not speaking on behalf of the greatest police department in the world, but I had a tremendous amount of growth. So before my, you know, my loved one went through what she went through, there would just be, how do I say this, repeat customers, individuals who would go through the, the cycle of, you know, maybe they were arrested for pettit larceny and then they would go down to court, be out in a few days or get remanded to some sort of treatment and then come back to the street and then we'd pick them up again and then slowly those crimes would escalate to burglaries or so on and so forth. They're mostly property crimes that exist to feed the cycle of addiction because those that's what happens. There's a chemical dependency there for those individuals. And, you know, before you have an epiphany on what's going on in the world and you're sheltered from it, like I kind of was, um, you just think that, why, why is this happening? Why don't these people just stop? Or why don't they just get incarcerated forever? And, and that, again, so th- I think this is interesting because I think a lot of people figure, you know, someone who's a police officer who's out there, you know, on the street seeing the people who are, you know, being picked up for one thing or another, that they, you automatically, police officers know the whole story. They know everything going on. But as, as you're saying, an epiphany was still able to happen for you when, unfortunately, you had to experience this as a loved one of someone dealing with it. I mean, that's exactly right. Now, I mean, there's always going to be the individuals that you encounter while working that are heavily suffering from, you know, end-stage alcoholism, who, you know, you call an ambulance for them, they go to the hospital, and then they're back on their, wherever they may may be, if they're in the pavilion, uh, on the boardwalk, or if they're in Sunset Park, you know, undomiciled and still drinking. But right, um, the reason why I expose this hugely vulnerable part of my life is because I feel it's incredibly important to how society views those who are addicted, especially with the overdoses increasing all the time. And it shouldn't have to be that we all go through one thing 
for all of us to grow, but here we are. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can tell you from our experience here, uh, sharing that story, I know it's not always easy, but it certainly does make an impact. So uh, we just spoke about your experience, you know, like you said, the, the repeat customers, if you will, and, and one, one understanding of what that's about before this other experience. So let's get into this other experience. Now, this, this is the story that I know you talk quite a bit about. You want people to know what you went through, what your loved one went through. And if I'm not mistaken, it was about a little over 10 years ago when you and, and uh, your loved one first started, I guess, I don't know, uh, encountering the effects of opioids, right? Yeah, there was a, a motorcycle accident in the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. Nothing where we lost consciousness, but enough to be brought to a level, a, like a trauma one level. We went to Bellevue and, you know, we were discharged from there and told to follow up, but we were both written um, prescription opioids at the time. Laws were different. Things were different. There was no like, uh, you know, limited guidance on how to write. So things were written. And for me, I was lucky enough that it wasn't uh, a long-term dependency, maybe two to three months, just enough to get myself back into like, you know, some physical therapy, yoga, stretching, you know, letting the body take its own course. Yep. But unfortunately, um, for my loved one there, it was, uh, it became this revolving door of holy, you know, holy smokes, uh, I'm addicted. And uh, that kind of went on for years, you know, unbeknownst to me. There was, you know, there was no truthfulness because there's this shame. And especially given what I do, how could someone ever say, listen, you know, I'm severely addicted. So it just went on and on and on until until it couldn't go on anymore in the sense that there was giant red flags. You know, I, I'm reminded of this like analogy where if you put a frog in water that's boiling, they'll jump out immediately. But if you put it in cold water and slowly bring the water to a boil, they'll just pass away because you're in denial, right? Denial is part of this huge thing. But, um, you know, there were signs in hindsight where this person admitted, I'm suffering, I'm addicted. And it was met with such disgust on my part. Mm. Oh, that's not true. You know, you could snap out of it or, you, you know, you don't need to be medicated. You don't need to go on any sort of other drug because all you're doing is self-medicating with these. So there was this huge um, barrier that I created. So this person never really felt comfortable just saying, hey, I'm suffering. Yep. All right. So just so I'm, I'm making sure I got the timeline right. So you had the accident. You were both prescribed opioids for pain. Yeah. You, you used them a little while until physically you were back, you know, feeling like you were on your own without it and you were okay. But then this loved one of yours continued to, to utilize them. And it, so she was using them longer than, than you knew, or you knew that there was still something that were, were needed, but you didn't know to what level? Right. So eventually uh, her prescription ran out. But because of the time of where we were in, you know, this, the opioid epidemic, she was able to continue getting them on the street for a very cheap price. Wow. You know, and then the, the potency of the drug, although they were still pharmacy grade, had escalated. So she was, I believe she was doing like Percocet, like mm. the 10 or 5 milligrams. And then someone introduced her to the, the blues or the 30 milligrams because they didn't have the other ones. And because the potency of the, the drug um, was now, you know, stronger, it continued the addiction with a with more gas on that fire, mm. so to speak. Now, I know, as you said, things started to kind of escalate. And, you know, there were moments when your loved one said to you, I, I think I have an addiction. I think I need these. And you were, you know, initially saying, no, no, you couldn't possibly, you couldn't possibly have an issue with this. At what point, what, what was happening 
when you sat back and thought to yourself, oh boy, this this is a problem. The amount of money that was disappearing, the uh, the erratic behaviors, the the pills all over the house. You know, oh maybe there's uh, someone's got a bad back, and I you know I borrowed this from someone, so on. And I mean, the the unexplained time, and it also came with some benefits too. I'm I'm going to be brutally honest here. Someone who is taking these and has all these this energy, you know, might stay up to three in the morning cleaning the whole bathroom, and then get up on two hours of sleep and take the kids to daycare or whatever. You know. So there were some days where you sat back and thought, oh, boy, she's this person's doing great. Yeah, because, you know, I mean, addiction hits everyone differently, especially what you're addicted to. You know, that, that, that term is used mildly, right? Um, oh, I'm addicted to cheese or I'm addicted to exercise. But, right. you know, when you talk about the, the, the brain structure and how it, it changes, it, it's a serious thing. Right. And that's, that's the part a lot of people don't realize, the effect that it has on the brain. And it really creates a, a need, a, a dependency. For, exactly. Yeah. So, so let's continue along here now so you're still working for the police force you have a loved one in your in your family in your life who is who is dealing with this and you are in turn dealing with that as well um how much impact did this then have on you on your relationship with this person i guess then eventually get me to the point where if if we got to this point where things changed for the better or how long did it take before that happened there was um it's a long complicated process because things don't happen overnight um how, when, how, long, how long would you say this loved one was in active use and you know you're wondering what to do or if this person was going to be able to find a way out of it like are we talking months right. years so active use would be so there was a uh, about 10 to 11 month hiatus mm-hmm. um but prior to like that was towards the end, but so there was active addiction where it was completely unknown, unbeknownst to me for three or four years, oh, wow. maybe five. Yeah. And then there was a hiatus. Once that hiatus stopped because that wasn't treated with um, any sort of medically assisted treatment or talk therapy, it was a cold turkey kind of hiatus. Then once that, that hiatus ends, the more severe opioids were introduced. That, that was probably about uh, 16 to 18 months. And it was at that point where I was finally aware of the destructiveness of uh, active addiction within, you know, close love relationships. And I said that I'm going to lose my job here. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to end up getting fired or uh, arrested or, or God knows what. And so I, uh, I did what I thought at the time was the best was I, uh, I moved out of the household. And, you know, I, I don't have this ability to hide my emotions so people would know what was going on. And it was so embarrassing. But the beautiful thing about my story is that when I took myself out of the equation, this loved one of mine was able to finally get back on her feet. And when I was separated uh, from the household, I was uh, I was talking about my situation and more and more people were like, oh, well, you know, I know this person who's addicted and I know this person who passed away and I'm grieving this person all from the same substances. And it was at that point when I realized how incredibly common it was that this was going on and no one was talking about it. And, you know, you ha- you take these, uh, these moments so incredibly important because you love them and you might have, I don't know, traveled the world with them or who knows. And uh, I then go back into the same household, you know. Yeah. There was there was a lot of it was, it was a complicated time because you still see them and it reminds you of who they were prior to the addiction taking over. 
Yeah. No, I'm, I'm trying to put the pieces here together. So I, I can see what you're saying that, you know, it got to a point where you just had to try to end that relationship because it was, it wasn't getting better. It was having, it was taking a toll on you. Then you came to a point where you were able to talk to others about it and found out that there's really a community of people who are dealing with the same sort of thing. Then, yeah. so you said the beautiful part of your story, you, you said you ended this relationship, but then it sounds like this relationship, uh, d- so this individual was able to to, to get the, the services, the supports needed to kind of get beyond that addiction. And did that then bring back this relationship you have with this person? That is exactly correct. Um, they were able to enroll in, a, what was that program? Bridges Back to Life, Bridge Back to Life somewhere. Mm-hmm in uh, Brooklyn and um, there was group therapy, one-on-one therapy and uh, medically assisted treatment, uh, buprenorphine, medically yeah. assisted treatment. And that was just, you know, I mean, that's not, that's not my story, right? I can't say what happened to my loved one, but I do know that that person had a fundamental change that was able to register in my brain and say, wait a minute, addiction is not a lifelong problem. It's not an end sentence. There is hope. There is a beautiful light of it because, you know, Addiction doesn't have to be this curse that you're 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 put put upon. Yeah. And so you start building trust again. Because trust is one of the things that's eroded when there's an addiction because there's no honesty there because there's embarrassment. It's like this this cycle of how we view things and the criminalization of it. It was that part of me that realized that this is not what it is. There's a larger picture here. Yeah. You had a whole different perspective than previously, right? When you were, you know, walking the beat and responding in one way versus responding to a loved one. Yeah, I mean, no cop wants to bring their personal life into work and no, you know, no officer wants to bring that home. But, you know, we're not robots. So, yeah, sometimes we do. And, you know, you know, you hear all the crazy things, all cops are alcoholics, cops are abusive, yada, yada, yada. But there was this huge part of empathy that just grew inside of me and said, what is going on here? I'm seeing it in the street. I'm seeing it with my loved one here. And it's like, oh man, what? You know, it was a whirlwind. It was a giant, I guess, like I said, an epiphany, right? Yeah. How long has it been now since this loved one uh, got those services, the support, the buprenorphine, the medication-assisted treatment? It's like six or seven years. And so long ago, right? And it's such a part of me that I don't talk about this loved one doesn't talk about because it's so there's so much trauma even jerry i'm like i got goosebumps right now and it's six or seven years from this because when you talk about something that's so incredibly traumatic you're recalling these 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 days of endless worry and endless you know you, either you pray that they pick up that that you get a phone call and say well they're going to be incarcerated for the night because they got picked up using or you get a phone call thinking that all right maybe they're dead you know i mean these 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 memories are very real it, it, it takes a an individual to step out of their their world look at what's going on and and i always say that addiction is one of these things that hides behind closed doors one of the best things that we could do for addiction is shine a light on it and you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. We, I know that overdoses are happening all the time for seven years. And like I said, it doesn't it doesn't come up anymore. Now you can just talk about the weather or you can talk about sports. It's just something that is, you know, water under the bridge. Right. It's, it's no longer that everyday overpowering concern. Um, Correct. So, you know, people also say that re- recovery is not like um, it's, it's not it's not an end point. It's sort of a, a, a daily maintenance, something that continues. And you're always in recovery because you got to maintain that so that it doesn't restart. Do you see that? I mean, I know you said that you've kind of moved on. It's been six or seven years. But at the same time, I would have to imagine for your loved one, this this is a, an effort that continues to be made to maintain recovery. Yeah. I mean, she uh, she's on like the, the, the most mild dose possible of the boxing. She's doing great. She's 
fully employed. She's got a whole, her, her whole life to her. And it's like, she, she's just like blossomed this beautiful, mature woman who has so much of life in front of her. And it's like one of the most beautiful things because, you know, she's got her own, her story, right? She has those demons, but there's no profound, I mean, how do I say this? There, there could have been any sort of damage, you know, if she got wrapped up into the criminal justice system and became one of those people like I saw on the street, you know, when working or anything like that. But there's this, because when you have someone who cares for you and who, who extends an arm, someone who's beginning their whole process all over again, it makes things a little bit easier. I suppose I would say that, you know, I get it. Like people's entire life savings have been drained and the house has been burglarized and people, you know, completely obliterate trust. And one of the hardest questions that I still have is how do you know someone's sobriety is legitimate? How do you know that this time is the time that it's going to be real? Because everyone always says, you know, relapse is part of recovery. But once you could confirm that, then you could really just walk that road together. Yeah. Because they're still a human being, right? You don't want to see them destitute forever. Yeah. And like you were saying too, you had that, what, like a 16, 17 month sort of reprieve where, you know, the cold turkey method seemed to work and then, and then didn't. So yeah, I could see where you'd, you'd be concerned like, okay, is this time, is this time really it? Is this time really it? Yeah. But I'm, I'm so glad to hear that your six, seven years and that your loved one's doing so well. You know, I just, I think too, because I've heard about this, let me ask you, at any point, um, did your loved one overdose? Did you witness this person overdose? Did they experience that? Uh, she said that she, had the beginning stages of, of an OD um, and that you know I wasn't with her when she was using during this time uh, but she said that someone you know there was Narcan available but she did not overdose I see she yeah did, she said she, she didn't need the Narcan or Naloxone she didn't actually use no it. she didn't gotcha because yeah. you know I was going to ask it because in your line of work I think it's it's pertinent but we hear about first responders uh, who sometimes as, as you referred to uh, you know repeat customers they they go back to the, the same house for the same person where you are today versus where you were say 20 years ago I'm sure you can understand how first responders, officers having to go out over and over sometimes potentially to that same household for that same person can feel that that kind of fatigue about that, right? Of course. I mean, no cop wants to respond to the same home for a domestic violence incident, you know, within their tour or, you know, if there's an intersection that has a problematic traffic control device and there's you know there's always going to be car accidents there you, you know you say well what's the larger picture here but you, you understand it's there is that there's a human life that's on the other end of that 911 call yeah. right and it absolutely could be exhausting but if a person if a person's still alive and there's you know there's you got to do it you take it oath. you have to preserve life and that's the most important thing about wearing this uniform is that you preserve life but as you grow and you mature over the last you know decade or whatever you say oh, well, maybe some things are wrong outside of outside of my purview and things that could be different elsewhere you know um yeah we we carry Nar narcan naloxone we've been carrying it for years i've responded and used it recently with this whole uh the animal tranquilizer i know that we have to be doing it more and you know th exactly that's yeah, it and yeah. it, the whole supply of the drugs has just become so backwards you know yeah yeah and there, there's yeah. so much risk and, and heightened heightened risk exactly. out there right now with everything that's that's being used yeah um, of course you, you know i just just to kind of go back to that last question i had I, I, what would your message be 
you know, for let's say younger officers who are out there who are having to go out repeatedly? Because I think sometimes, and, and I don't know, I just know from people I've spoken to that sometimes they can kind of get numb to that whole sense that that this is a human being on the other side of this 911 call. This is a human being who needs to have their overdose reversed. But the sixth, seventh, eighth time, you know, I think I've actually seen some some television news reports where officers say, yeah, you know, we, we don't drive as fast the eighth or ninth time. But knowing no. from your own perspective, that person... Because they have an inherent value. Right. There's a, there's a, a human spirit, a soul, whatever, whatever deity you want to believe in or, or a higher power. This person is a person, right? And they're in a temporary difficult spot. It's in fact more important to drive there because seconds count, right? These people are have value and they have merit. They contribute positively, but they're in a rough spot. And I say that because I was exactly there. I dismissed this love once. I had vitriolic hatred. How could you do this? You're ruining your life. You're ruining everything that, you know, you're, you're just the worst thing ever. Ultimately, that probably fueled her addiction. And it was, you actually have to love harder. You have to love stronger. And you have to be a beacon of hope for those that are, are here. And it's so backwards because you say, well, why are they using and why can't they just stop? And, you know, you, you're a dredge on society and, you, you know, you, you're just a thief and a common, like, junk. And Jerry, it's all so widespread, right? It's everywhere. It's not just New York City. It's everywhere. But no one wakes up and says, oh, I'm going to become a, a drain on society. And then you think about, like, well, maybe they, maybe they, they had some sort of trauma, childhood trauma, or maybe they were a, a chronic pain patient and then their doctor couldn't write prescriptions anymore or whatever. There's a million and one reasons why people get to where they are. Your job is, as a first responder, respond, do your job, and that's it. Just keep doing it because one day they're going to come out of it. Yeah. And you know, you hit it, it right it, on the head there. You, you totally did. Yeah. The fact that, you know, you don't know this person's whole story. You, you know this page in that story. That's and it. There's so much more like your loved one is now able to put in their story because of the fact that you loved harder. Another another great reference that you made. You need to love harder. And that's what you did. And, and I hope a lot of people hear that. It, it sucks that this is what we have to do. That, you know, my name is going to be associated with this. But if there's people out there who, who are, are doubtful of this, you know, it could happen to anyone. Yeah, You talk about these people who are Hollywood movie stars who are, you know, in, in, in rehab and, and, you know, cocaine and fentanyl overdoses. And then you people, you know, inner city. It, it's everywhere. This is America. This is not. This is not going away. This yeah. podcast is not going to change the world, but maybe it'll change one person's mind. And if it, if that helps, Jerry, it's worth it. You're abs- Yep. And that's that's the whole reason why why we do this. And I think others who do things like this do it because you know maybe it doesn't change the world, but if we can you know touch one person, help one person see something differently or or, or love harder, then uh, then it's all worth it. And thank you so much for sharing your story. I know you said it. It kind of had you know goosebumps, chills talking about it. Um, and we appreciate you you know, putting yourself through those memories because uh, we really, we do believe the, the more we talk about it, the more we can affect change. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I uh, appreciate it. And, you know, drop me a line, find me on social media if you ever want to talk, whatever you can do, whatever I can do, you know? All right. That's good. We appreciate that offer as well. Thanks for checking out this episode of Addiction, The Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger. Our producer is Isabel Beyond. If you have something you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email us about it. It's communications at oasas.ny.gov. That's oasas.ny.gov.